oftentimes when we are first meeting with people, they say, oh man, before I saw some of your material or listened to you on a show or wherever they found us, they're like, I'd never even thought about the fact that my money was being inefficient in between deals. I'm just hyper-focused on on trying to, to maximize the return in my investment. But the reality is if money's coming into your into your bank account on a monthly basis and it's being stored up to to utilize at some further point, there is that natural inefficiency. It's not the mistake that matters. It's how you deal with it, what you learn from it, and how you apply that lesson to your life. Welcome to Multifamily Missteps, where your host Jerome Myers brings on apartment investors from around the country, big and small, to share with you the lessons they wish somebody would have told them. These short episodes are designed to expedite your journey to growing a profitable apartment portfolio without all the mistakes that others have made. We're super excited that you're here. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Blake and Rod in with me today. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about a strategy that I use to buy multifamily investments and a bunch of other things. And if you aren't using it, I'll be honest with you, you're probably missing out. So Blake, Rod, super excited that you guys made some time to hang out with me. You did an amazing job at the Mid-Atlantic Multifamily Investing Conference in Minnesota. Have you on to talk a little bit more about this technique that the wealthy are using in order to be liquid, create some wealth transfer. And I mean, there's so many other benefits that I imagine we'll dive into in this episode. I'm just glad you guys are spreading the gospel. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So welcome in. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. We had a, a really fun time at your event. And really enjoyed speaking with you and have, have talked offline with some people who were at the event as well. So we're excited to, to share a little more uh, in this episode here. Outstanding. I'm glad that's already happening. Hopefully that happens a lot more. And we're going to work really hard to get people exposed to the concept because I don't think most people hear about this. They get... And so we're going to talk about a product that some people villainize. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's not for everybody. But if you've got a, a very specific goal that you're trying to achieve, this can be one of those arrows in your quiver to help you get there. So Blake, Rod, I, I don't know who wants to introduce the concept, but I, I would really love for you guys to just dive in here and let's have a great conversation and provide a tremendous amount of value to these listeners. Great. Well, I'll take the the 30,000 foot overview and then Rod, you can kind of fill it in. But the strategy that we're talking about is what we refer to as the investment optimizer. So the the purpose of this strategy is not to to change any of the investing that you're doing. It's really just to add an additional layer of profitability to the things that you're already going to be investing in anyway. So before people meet us, what typically happens if you're investing in multifamily or really it could be any type of alternative investing, typically what happens is individuals are building up money, their liquid capital, as you mentioned, Jerome, in in some place that's safe and liquid, which tends to be bank accounts, savings accounts, money market accounts, right? Things like this with the idea that they need to have capital that when investment opportunities arise, they liquidate that, they go invest, they earn their rate of return. And as that cash flow comes back, it just goes right back into their bank account. Well, one of the inefficiencies that's naturally happening is that as money's sitting in what we call the opportunity fund, right, waiting to be deployed, 
it's just not really doing much for us. So, you know, we have the safety and liquidity that we can get in bank accounts, but then beyond that, you know, there's no growth. Uh, certainly in today's low interest rate environments, there's no tax benefits. And so what the investment optimizer does is just optimize where dollars are being stored before you go invest, and then really trying to maximize the amount of benefits that we can get by having our money in a place that's safe and liquid, but we can get much higher returns, much greater tax benefits. And, and then maybe we can dive into this, Jerome, but, but utilizing this strategy, you can literally have the exact same dollar earning multiple returns at the exact same time. And Rod, do you want to pick up on any of that? Sure. Yeah. So let me hit on kind of what you just talked about. Cause sometimes when we, when we mention that it, it creates value in multiple places simultaneously, it almost sounds like magic or something, right? But really what's happening is the money that we're putting aside that we're building in this opportunity fund, it actually stays where it is when we're going to utilize it. We just actually take a loan against it. And so in other words, it stays where it is earning that return that, that Blake talked about. And on average, right now we're getting about a 5% net return tax-free. So nothing to sneeze at, except you know, with with a lot of the people that I'm sure invest in multifamily, they're they're thinking, well, five percent, you know, Rod, I can I can go do a lot better than that. But but the point is, you leave it there, you, it continues to earn that five percent, but you're taking a loan against it, you're collateralizing it, and then that money is what you're using to go and invest within multifamily or whatever you invest in. You create the return there as well, and so again, simultaneously, we're quite literally creating value uh, in multiple places. Wait. Is that legal? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, Jerome, I, and I'm sure like a lot of the people who who are listen to you use leverage all the time, right? You go buy a piece of property, and you're not you're not going to buy it outright. Like I, I I shouldn't say that. Some people do, right? And and I don't mean to to say that that you know they're doing anything wrong, but you know people who want to really optimize what they're doing and they're investing, go get a loan from the bank and and you know use that for 75, 80% of the of the purchase. And so this is a similar idea. We're leveraging the dollars that are in that opportunity fund. And so it, again, it's, it's very similar to what people are already doing with loans in, in their investing. Very similar because you're using leverage to get the leverage. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, you I have mean, the asset sitting there. You're, you're using it as collateral to go get dollars from somewhere else, other people's money, right? We talk about that. And so think of it this way. When I do go buy the property, I get a 75% loan through a traditional lender. My 25% that I'm putting down, I'm using other people's money. So in other words, it's basically creating a situation where 100% of what I'm using to go buy that property is leverage. It's, it's other people's money. Now, many of the educators will say, well, that's just flat out risky. What do you guys think? I, like, think, a lot of it, I think a lot of it has to do with the type of account that that you're that you're utilizing for it. So we like to talk about this leverage being being more conservative. And maybe this is a time where we can jump into the actual product that that we're utilizing. And so I know Jerome you said this is something that's disparaged some voices out there, some financial voices, but we're using a very special type of life insurance policy. So it, we refer to it as max overfunded dividend paying whole life insurance and it's Quite a long name. And, and life insurance, as, as we kind of throw that out there, a lot of people have heard about life insurance being a very poor wealth building tool. Right? Before we jumped on, you mentioned people like Dave Ramsey said, anyone who's putting money into life insurance you know, is, is probably not being wise with, with what they're doing. So we want to make the differentiation that you know, this is a special type of life insurance policy designed in a unique way and utilized in a different way. So kind of piggybacking on what Rod was saying, 
We're not saying that life insurance, putting your money into life insurance is better than multifamily or better than any type of investing, right? Because that's typically the argument is, couldn't you get a better rate of return somewhere else? Where what we're utilizing these policies for is a replacement of where we're storing our, our cash or, or the opportunity fund as we talk about. So it's really a place that's re- or, um, a strategy that's replacing the bank accounts that you're saving money in before you invest. And by utilizing these policies, you know, we're able to get significantly uh, higher growth right up to about 5%. There's, there's tax advantages. There's some creditor protection. Yes, there is a death benefit, but our focus is more on building the investor component, which is the cash value as opposed to the death benefit. So it's designed in a totally different way. And it's utilized in a different way. Again, we're not putting money into life insurance just to let it sit and grow. We're utilizing these these policies as a way to enhance what our dollars are doing in between deals. So then when it comes time to to leverage them or or utilize the capital, uh, we have the entire balance continuing to earn and grow. So there's guarantees that are built into this. So again, you're you're building up this policy. It's got some guaranteed interest that it's going to grow with. It can it can earn some other things on 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 top of that. And then very literally, you can borrow against it or collateralize or leverage it to go invest in the things that you are already going to invest in anyway. So what makes it secure place to leverage is that there's guarantees. There's, there's guaranteed growth. So very literally, by just putting the money into these policies before we go invest, we can do the exact same investing. But, but by putting the money into the policy, we get all the growth and all the benefits of having life insurance. And we're investing in, in the multifamily things that we were, we were doing as well. I feel like you capitalized the and. <laughs> There's multiple <laughs> benefits here. Yeah. And so I, just to make it really concise for the listener, I think there's like three ways that you are actually adding a return per se, because you get the payout when you expire. That's a guaranteed payout and it's a guaranteed event that's going to happen. Then there's the dividends on the money that you have in the cash value of the deal. And then is there another one or are those the only two and then your ability to pull against the cash? Well, like what referenced that there's a guaranteed portion of the growth and then the, and then the extra the dividend. So right now when when someone gets into a new policy, there's a 3% guaranteed interest rate associated with that. In other words, you know that you'll never get less than a 3% growth in that account in any given year, okay? And that's the worst we can do. But in reality right now when you add the dividend that you just mentioned to that, uh, depending on which company we're talking about, that'll that'll produce a total of a five to six percent return today. You know, thirteen, fourteen years into really low interest rates, there's still these these life insurance companies are still able to to put that out. So uh, again, that dividend portion is not guaranteed, and yet you know we're working with companies who who have been consistent paying a dividend for you know 150, 180 years, and so you know it's it's. It's been a really kind of a just a, a solid thing that's just plugged through, you know, Great Depression, World Wars, all kinds of different things, and they just continue to plug along and and do their thing. And so, getting back to your question about risk, it's not that there's no risk. There's nothing without any risk, but you know, as it compares to a lot of other things out there, it's really pretty low risk. I think it is. Well, I mean, what other thing is as safe as this from other than putting your money in the bank and getting less than a 1% return. Yeah. Like, well, I'm going to even... Where else could you put those dollars? Yeah. You, you, I, there's nothing I'm familiar with where, where it is. And, and I would even be so bold as to say that it's even more safe than the bank. Now, some people might be like, okay, that, that just seems crazy. But to me, here's the, the difference. These life insurance companies are 
asset building, they, they have to keep like huge amounts of reserves because of what they do, right? They're, Jerome, they're, they're saying when you pass away, we're going to pay out whatever, a couple million bucks to your family, whether you die now or in 50 years, right? And so they have to keep large reserves on hand in order to do that. Like legally, they have to. And whereas with banks, not only is the model with banks like uh, more, they, they do more with leverage, right? And so you, you look at like you, you put a, a grand into the bank and then it doesn't just sit there, right? The bank turns around and, and uses it. And with fractional reserve banking, they can lend it out multiple times up to you know five to seven times when you put that in them. So they're very, very highly leveraged. And so that's why I say that, that, that just the institution, like the, the base level foundation of, of you know, what these life insurance companies are, just put them in a different class in terms of their kind of just solidarity. Yeah. So from time to time, I'll hear some of the guys that I work with tout being AAA rated. And that's because, and it's only like life insurance companies that are getting that type of rating. Is that right? Or am I like totally missing this? Yeah, it's, there are like these independent rating agencies and, and that's a great point because, you know, we're not just out working with just any companies. We're only willing to work with A-rated companies that have been around a long time, consistent paying that dividend. And then, you know, we're, we're kind of independent. So we look at all the different companies and, and we just, we're going to bring to the table the one that is offering the best, kind of that highest growth. In other words, the dollars I'm putting in, the one that creates the highest cash value that I can start loaning against and be using in, in conjunction with my investing. That's the one that we're using. Okay. Now, somebody out there is super smart. I'm going to listen to you, Blake, because I'm going to try to trip you up. Somebody out there is super smart. They're like, wait, I'm going to give this guy some money. He's going to put it in an insurance account. Then I'm going to borrow against it and pay interest on the mo- my money. Why would I do that? That's an awesome question. And one that, that comes up. So here's what's happening. Very, very literally. And I guess if your listeners want to know more, you can go to moneyinsights.net. We have an education center which with a bunch of free resources on that. You'll find a video, kind of a webinar breaking down uh, the numbers behind the strategy because that is very important. But what's very literally happening is we're creating two buckets of money. So you're, you're flowing money into this opportunity fund, right? And that's earning and it's growing. And, and we have the guaranteed interest, the dividends, as, as we've talked about. And then when it comes time to invest, right, we're borrowing not from our from our own our own policy or our own bucket, but we're borrowing from a, a different bucket, a much bigger bucket, and that's from the insurance company's general account. So, in you in using Rod your example, let's say you want to put twenty five percent down, and you say, okay, send me the money. When that money hits your hits your bank account, that's actually the insurance company's money, right? And our entire bucket stays in our account earning interest and dividends. And so there's there's interest on both sides, right? We're earning interest on in our policy and then we're also paying interest to the insurance company to borrow their funds. So our accounts earning right about 5%. The interest cost can vary with the companies that you're using, but typically that's right about 5% as well. So this is when you first hear that it's like okay, I'm earning 5, paying 5. How am I really getting ahead? Isn't that like a wash, you know, a wash loan? Well, the difference comes and really this idea of compounding versus simple interest. And it's a very, it's a very easy concept, but, but can be incredibly powerful when you, when you implement it into your investing strategy. So very literally, the dollars remain in your policy growing and compounding forever. And then when we're borrowing funds from an insurance company, we're paying them back as long as we at least pay them the interest portion each year. 
we're paying them back on a simple interest uh, payback. And so that simple interest, as we pay that down and our money continues to compound, there's an arbitrage there. So I don't know if we want to get too deep into the numbers. I, I'd be happy to do that if you if you want to. Again, you can go check out some videos that we have. Rod, do you want to yeah, discuss I can, that a little I can give more? a quick example. When what you'll see when you get to the video or, or even the one that we did with you, Jerome, the other day, we just show a simple example. Someone takes a $100,000 loan and they use that to go and invest. That's the down payment, right? On a, say, a $400,000 duplex or something. And uh, and then they they create this payback. And we showed over 20 years, amortizing the payback over 20 years. They're paying $8,000 a year uh, to pay down that loan. By the end of the 20 years, they would have paid about $65,000 or $60,000 in interest, okay, as they pay down that loan. On the other hand, they have $100,000 sitting in their in the other bucket, the opportunity fund bucket, and it's continuing to earn the 5%, but it's earning it on a compound basis. So when you look at that over the 20 years, it would have earned $165,000 in interest in, inside of your bucket. So 165 earned versus 60,000 paid, that arbitrage you know, netted me $105,000 above what I was paying in the interest. So, so what you're saying? Wait, 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 wait! I'm not good at math. Hold on. <laughs> Are you saying because I had compounding on the on the money that I put in, and I had simple interest on the borrowed money? The delta is a hundred grand over twenty years. Yeah. That can't be right. Yeah. No, and that's the thing is the people. I think people understand you know, kind of conceptually the idea between compound and simple, right? Like I want my money compounding, like like creating this growth, turning around and putting it into something new that that that, you know, let let's dollars grow on top of dollars. But when you put the numbers to it, and and in this case, it's even a little bit better because it's not just simple interest on a on a flat balance. Like I'm paying that down. And in other words, I'm paying less interest every year as I pay down that balance at working towards the year 20. And and so that that's why it works out that way. Now, this is something you probably don't encourage, but I think I know through experience, they don't actually have to pay the loan back, do they? It's true. So go back to the idea of of when I took the loan, my money was sitting there acting as collateral, right? And so for the same reason, the insurance company is like, well, well, we have, you know, it's your account, but it's sitting here in our, in our, you know, in your policy with us. And so if if you like just want to walk or whatever, or or even when you pass away, right? There's this death benefit that's going to pay out and, and pay it off. And so, so to your point, I have complete latitude on, on how I want to handle the payback of that loan, if at all. Right. So, like Blake said, we want to at least be paying the, the interest on an annual basis. But here's the way that, that it, we see it working and that I use myself because it's my opportunity fund. I take that loan, I go and invest, I create cash flow. Well, what else am I going to do with that cash flow? Right? I don't want to. I don't want to just funnel it back into my bank account. That doesn't make any sense. I want to funnel it back into this opportunity fund, paying down the loan. Technically, is what I'm doing, but strategically, what I'm doing is I'm freeing up those dollars to go back and do it again. So, so let's go back to this this example I used a minute ago. I, I buy this duplex. I create some cash flow. I funnel that back. It's not something on a monthly basis as I'm receiving those rents that I can just turn around and go buy another property like each each month, right? So I have to build that back up somewhere. So I'm just going to be paying back that loan, which covers my interest, covers some of the principal, et cetera. But again, strategically, I'm replenishing my opportunity fund so that after a couple of years of doing that, now I've built it up to a place where I can go loan against it and go do it again. So we create this the same cycle, this kind of rinse and repeat idea. I'm just flowing all that money through that policy instead of a, a savings account. 
A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get the next deal done. We have developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they use our system, they create time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Multifamily Kickstart program has proven to be the fastest way to establish credibility and build a profitable apartment portfolio. Hop over to drawmyers.co to find out more. It, the, the other piece of this that you're not mentioning that I think is pretty cool is say, I go out, I buy a building, and then part of my business plan is to do a refi in year three or four. Yep. And so in the third year, I refi and I'm able to refi out all of the initial invested capital. I can take that lump sum of cash, mm-hmm. pay off the loan or pay pay off the loan, which is tied to my opportunity fund. And now I got a full opportunity fund to go again. And the original money that was in the opportunity fund has been growing on that compounding curve. Yeah. So this is where I think it really gets magical because now you have the asset, you have no loan, you have your original investment, and you're ready to go again and deploy off of that increase and you can borrow against the increased cash value that was growing while you were doing the first deal. Yep. yep. And in fact, in that, well, that video that Blake mentioned, we actually show an example of somebody doing exactly that. So we say, okay, hey, if, if we're saying it's better than just using a regular savings account, then we'll show you. And so side by side, it's the same in, in the example, $100,000 a year for five years that this person is setting aside. But on the left-hand side, they're using the investment optimizer. On the right-hand side, they're using a savings account. We just play it out. Say, hey, same kind of investment pattern, exact type of situation that you just described. And and over 20 years, then just kind of a teaser, we end up creating $2 million more value by using the investment optimizer than if we didn't. That's wild. So, I mean, we can literally supercharge our investment by being smart with what we're doing with our storage account, our opportunity fund. now. For the people who may be out there still and like, oh man, like I, I don't believe it. Like there's this thing called Boley and it's the bank owned life insurance. And so I, I'm, you guys may be familiar with it, but why sure. would banks own these type of policies? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's for the exact same reason that, that we talked about here. In other words, they have lazy money sitting around, right? So yeah. I, I kind of, I talked like they loan out everything. They do have to keep reserves. Right, they have to keep a certain amount of of money that's that's liquid. It's the exact same things we're talking about here, right? It's liquid, can be used if they need to, but it, they want to have it in a place where it's it's doing something for them. And so, banks quite literally will will own life insurance, and it's basically it's on their executives, right? Somebody has to be the insured on that, and so it it serves a business purpose as well. Like they call that key person insurance. If that executive passes away, then they're economically, you know, having to recover from that. And so it serves the purpose for the insurance port, but it's the, it's designed in the way that we're doing it to, to where they're creating a, you know, a 5% tax-free return inside of the, the bank. And like you said, where else can you go do that? Where it's just like, it's like happening like clockwork. It's just so predictable and, and consistent in, in how it does it. Okay. Back to Blake. Blake, I don't want people running out and talking to the guy in the multi-level marketing insurance company about this. What should people be looking out for 
when they're trying to implement this strategy. I mean, they should go to the website and check out the education center. But if somebody else approaches them before they get there, what type of questions should they be asking to know whether or not they're buying what you're describing versus buying something that's going to be a headache and a burden? Yeah. And I think that's the tricky part, even from our perspective. Sometimes I wish this wasn't called life insurance because life insurance has so it's so broad. There's so many categories. So what we're talking about is something very specific. And and so one of the objections that people often have is, oh, you could go, you know, for the cost of of a whole life insurance policy, you could buy term life insurance at a much cheaper price, right? You could pay less premium. Well, the way that we're utilizing or designing these policies is literally the exact opposite. So the way you buy most insurance could be home, auto, life insurance is small premiums for high protection. And so when we're utilizing this policy for the invest to optimize our investments, it's the exact opposite. We start with, okay, we're trying to capture the dollars that are going to be going into investments anyway. So once you understand the math, kind of how the strategy works, some of the components, it just makes sense to be flowing our dollars into this policy first. So then when we're when we're starting with, okay, we're trying to optimize our investing, we want to get max cash and least amount of cost. And so a lot of that cost is the death benefit. So we're not starting with, okay, how much death benefit that you, do you want, which is maybe what a typical type of insurance person would start with. We're saying, how much money are you trying to invest in the next year, five years, 10 years, and building the strategy around that. So I think then to get a little more specific, Jerome, to your, to your question, you need to be working with someone, in my opinion, who specializes in designing policies in this way. So if you go talk to someone like, oh yeah, I, I could do whole life insurance and it builds cash value and there's benefits and such. One of the things that, that we kind of bring to the table is we're, we're hyper-focused on utilizing these policies for this strategy only. So we're not out there looking at a million different ways to do life insurance and all the, all the benefits that you can get if you structure different ways. We're trying to say, okay, we're going to start comparing these companies and we do regularly. And as Rod mentioned earlier, we're just trying to find if we're going to put dollars into a life insurance policy to optimize our investing, what companies and what policy structures can we get that are going to maximize the growth of the cash value and the flexibility and all the benefits that we can get versus you know just going the typical insurance route which is just to say yeah we could put money in here and it builds up cash value and let me give you one more one more thing on that the typical whole life insurance policy oftentimes people don't like it or 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 are push back against it because we can't use it for a couple of years that's one thing that they've heard about well when you design policies that are maximum overfunded meaning we're putting a lot more money into it than the cost of insurance portion we can have access to those dollars as quickly as as 30 days after starting the policy so we have very literally have many clients who are who are designing policies they're putting money into those policies and then one month later they're deploying those dollars into multifamily investments right away. So it's not something that needs to be built up. You, of course, could be building it up for one, two, three years if you're planning on investing in the future. But this isn't something that's going to restrict any of the active investing that you're going to do. Oh, man. Well, wait, there's got to be some type of friction. There's got to be some... What's the inefficiency in this system? There's got to be something. There's commission. There's got to be something. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. And you'll see that like in the example that we show, like I mentioned earlier, the 100,000 year for five years. There are costs, right? We're, we're setting up a life insurance policy. And as Blake mentioned, we minimize the cost. We want to keep them as low as possible. But the fact is they're still there. 
right? And that doesn't exist on the on the savings account side. So there is, uh, it, as you'll see in the example, uh, we, we only have about 75% of, of the 100,000 in that first year to invest. It gets better from there. The costs are high, higher in the first couple of years. But the point is, it does take, take some time to get there. But but in the long run, you just end up in a much better place. So it's it's no different than someone starting up a business or even buying a, a piece of property, right? Paying an agent to to be involved in in the you know acquisition of a property or whatever, paying the the banker. There are some upfront costs that are definitely part of this. We don't hide from that. But in the long run, not only do we overcome those, we overcome them in in large amounts so that we just end up in a much better place. So so yes, friction. Yes, that kind of becomes a stumbling block for some people where they look at it and they're like. I just don't know if I want to, you know, have less today to to invest than than what I was going to. But as I said, in the long run, you just end up in a much much better place. And and maybe I can expand on that a little bit because sometimes people will say, okay, well that's great. I've I've built all this money into life insurance policy. And nothing's going to happen till I die, right? Well, that's not the case. This also becomes a source of tax free income in retirement for people. So in other words, you've built it up in a place that you ha- you continue to have access to it, right? We've talked about the liquidity and whatnot. You, you can continue to use that money. In this case, you just use it for your retirement income. It's, it's tax-free, so it's much more efficient than a lot of the other retirement vehicles out there. Think of it kind of like a Roth from a tax standpoint. I'm putting after-tax dollars in. Everything else I take back out is tax-free. And so, again, it's it's something that you use while you're living. And, and then to the extent that you didn't like deplete the whole thing before you passed away, then you know that that determines the size of what passes on to the next generation. And so that piece that you're talking about that you use in retirement is really the dividend because the dividend continues to grow based on the cash value. And then the cash value is still there if you want to use it to go do more investments. Did I get that Absolutely. right? Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of people who will continue to, they, they don't think about retirement the way most Americans do, right? Like they're just going to keep investing and they're going to keep doing what they do because they're good at it. And it, you know, gives them something to do. People, you know, they, they can't imagine just, you know, parking it and sitting on the sidelines and not doing anything, right? They're just going to keep going. And so, yes, we, we see people, you know, well into their advanced years continuing to use their policies in that way. All right. Now, the sharpest person that's listening to this episode is saying, Blake, Rod, I hear you, but is this compounding because we're reinvest, reinvesting that dividend or is the interest on the policy actually compounding? Yeah, it's both of those. So the interest just naturally compounds, just just like it would in your bank, right? You, you leave the money sitting there, and it's earning 001 percent. But you know that's it, it's creating some compounding. In this case, it's it's the guarantee of three percent interest, uh, and that creates some compounding growth. And the dividend can be pay, paid out in different ways. You could just say, "Hey, just send me a check," just like you would if you, if you owned the Coca Cola stock or whatever, right? And they're paying out a dividend, or you can roll it back in. And so the default for us is to roll it back in because of that that point that you just made. Compounding growth really, you know, makes not just this concept powerful, but anything better if if you're able to create that compounding growth. And so we do just roll it back in until someone's ready, retirement or whatever, for whatever reason, to to then know instead just send me a check, right? Just send me a check. It's mailbox money, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. (laughs) Blake Rod. Final thoughts, and then we'll let them know how to get in contact with you guys. Well, I think what comes to my mind is is the title of your show, just the missteps that are happening. Now, this isn't one that 
that most people are aware of. Oftentimes when we are first meeting with people, they say, oh man, before I saw some of your material or listened to you on a show or wherever they found us, they're like, I'd never even thought about the fact that my money was being inefficient in between deals. I'm just hyper-focused on on trying to, to maximize the return in my investment. But the reality is if money's coming into your into your bank account on a monthly basis and it's being stored up to to utilize at some further point, there is that natural inefficiency. So this is once you kind of figure out how this strategy works and really the benefits that that come from it, it, it does become a no-brainer to just be utilizing this as opposed to bank accounts. So really what my my final thought is the misstep is just thinking about where are your lazy dollars right now? Right. And and are there ways to get those dollars to be working more efficiently to not only be earning earning value in one place in your investment, but is there a way that we could be earning value on the same dollars in, in two places at once? So utilizing the strategy is just uh, a really natural plug-in to, to what you're already doing. Rod, do you have other thoughts on that? Yeah. My final thought is just kind of the, maybe the alter ego of the guy you just described where they do feel that inefficiency of the money sitting, money sitting on the sidelines. And it it's like it's eating a hole because they feel so motivated to, to just go out and be using that money, which obviously isn't a bad thing, but but it is a bad thing if they're not making the best decisions or or not waiting for the right deals because they just feel like I've got to get this money working for me because it's just not really doing anything while while it's sitting there. And so if instead it's somewhere where it's earning 5% tax-free, well, that is a much better place, much more comfortable for somebody where they can take their time, find the right deals because they know it's at least doing something for me on the sideline while I'm between deals. Oh man, in between deals, I got to put the, I'm seeing people buy stuff. They're like, I got to buy something. The market or inflation is eating up my dollars. Mm -hmm. I'm getting 0.01%, but you could be getting more. You might have a little friction up front getting the thing set up, but you, you could have more and you could have a bigger payout plus access to dollars in retirement plus a dividend on an annual basis plus compound. Like, I mean, the list is kind of stacking up, guys. I, I use it and this is why I use it. And uh, I, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to share this with the wider audience than the folks who only came to the VIP portion of the Mid-Atlantic Multifamily Investing Conference. So, Blake, Rod, how can folks get in contact with you to find out more about this amazing concept? So the... The, the easiest way uh, would be to go to moneyinsights.net. We got a lot of free resources there. And then the other thing is we do have a podcast. Rod Rod is the host on that. Do you want to share more about your your podcast, yeah. Rod? Yes, yeah, so we just call it the Money Insights Podcast. And and the idea is we just want to... We, we, we say we talk thing, all things money and business. We want to just help people you know, be a resource for people in, in kind of growing their wealth. And this becomes obviously a, a very core piece of that. So check us out uh, on all the kind of the big, big uh, podcast players. If you want to just email us directly, you can just email us at insights at moneyinsights.net. And you know, we can plan a, a meeting. Like often when we get together with people, we're not big salesy, like push it down your throat kind of thing. We we let it stand for itself, right? Like it it is pretty cool. It does what it does, but we want to help people get educated. And so it's it's, you know, we can just have a conversation, understand what you're doing, give answer any questions and and give you more resources to to learn about it. But very, very educated education oriented. Well, I think the listeners know I'm not going to put them in a tough situation. I, I think Rod and Blake do this thing the right way, and I'm super excited to have them as friends of the community. So, Blake, Rod, thank you for your time today, and I look forward to continuing to build our relationship. Yeah, thanks, John. Been great. Enjoyed it. 
to the listeners, the packs with you. We'll talk soon. You made it all the way to the end. So that means you love this episode of Multifamily Missteps. I need a favor from you. The only way this show grows is if more people know about it. So do me a favor, take a screenshot and post it on your favorite social media platform and tag me in it. Who knows? We may have you as the next guest. I look forward to sharing the episode with you next week.